It is important and refreshing to receive a journal like Sources. I rely on Sources for a deeply informed and well-curated collection of essays responding to current events and issues in contemporary Jewish life. Hi, I'm Claire Sufrin, editor of Sources, a journal of Jewish ideas. We get in-depth information from noted scholars, often in dialogue with one another, which is not to say always in agreement. In the newly released spring issue, scholars examine the theme of Jewish life tomorrow, reimagining key Jewish concepts for the present and future. Read, reflect, and subscribe to the award-winning journal at sourcesjournal.org. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Identity Crisis, a show about news and ideas from the Shalom Hartman Institute in partnership with the Jewish Telegraphic Agency. We're recording this on Friday, February 5th, and I want to tell you today's going to be complicated. The Jewish media world... Facebook, Twitter, where some of us spend more time than others, but also real-life Jewish media was consumed by what in some ways is a local story in the state of California around public education, questions of the Jewish community's involvement in the story of public education, but actually is in some ways also a metaphor for many larger questions about American identity the role of American Jews in the construction of American identity, the questions around how Jewish organizations do public advocacy on issues that both relate to Jewish communal interests, but also transcend Jewish communal interests. And that story is news about the California Ethnic Studies curriculum. For those of you who are not fully familiar, the reason this came into the news this week was a story written by Emily Benedict in Tablet Magazine, arguing that the ethnic studies curriculum that had been signed into law by the governor of California, I believe in 2020, but has been a multi-year process of development of such a curriculum. Benedict argued in her piece in Tablet that it was essentially baked in with anti-Semitism and anti-Americanism from the get-go. And this invited an incredibly interesting backlash by what I would call not usual suspects. Many Jewish communal organizations who in a regular year or a regular issue might have jumped on to say, yes, there's this phenomenon that appears to be anti-Jewish, anti-Israel, and anti-American, but actually jumped in to say, actually, we've been in the midst of trying to actually produce an ethnic studies curriculum that is consistent with the Jewish community's interests and the pro-Israel community's interests. And so it was kind of an interesting mess of a moment of kind of dismantling traditional allies in the conversations about this big American story. So to help us understand this issue, but also to talk a little bit about their work and activism in trying to advance a California ethnic studies curriculum that ostensibly is meant to improve America, to improve education, improve the state of California, but also to be in line with the interests of the Jewish community. I'm really happy to have with me two guests today. Sarah Levin is the executive director of Jemena, and I'll ask her to talk a little bit about what Jemena is and her role and her involvement in this story and Ty Gregory, who's the executive director of the JCRC of San Francisco. So first of all, thanks both of you for being here for this conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Yehuda. Sarah, first of all, fill in a little bit of the story of what's been going on for the last few years in terms of California ethnic studies from your vantage point, and maybe a couple sentences on why you're in this conversation, not just on our podcast, obviously, but why you're in this conversation around California ethnic studies more generally. Sure. So in the summer of 2019, I was approached by an activist in Northern California who works with all different Jewish agencies from across the spectrum 
And he told me about this ethnic studies model curriculum issue and that there was a draft that was released and that the Jewish community was going to need to respond to it and that Jimena could potentially play a very unique role as an organization representing Jewish people whose family members came here from the Middle East and North Africa. So we looked at the curriculum and it was problematic. BDS was woven into an Arab American study section. There was a trope that was anti-Semitic about Jews in the media. And what Jimena did, how we responded, is by immediately going to our Sephardic partner institutions throughout California and looking at the document together and deciding how we wanted to respond. And right away, we decided that we wanted to support the implementation of an ethnic studies curriculum in the state of California. We live in a majority minority state. We knew that the train had already left the station, that ethnic studies was going to become a reality, whether we liked it or not. So we needed to do our best to work within the system to help the state make improvements. So Right off the bat, one of the first sentences in our first letter to the state that was signed by 11 Sephardic institutions was in support of AB 2016, which was the legislation that was passed to mandate the creation of this ethnic studies model curriculum. So that was the beginning of the story, and it's taken a lot of twists and turns these last couple of years. Okay, so it's useful just as a couple of data points to signal, first of all, I think this was critical in terms of what you mentioned. You called it the train had left the station. It's a majority minority state. Arizona has a similar dynamic. In fact, Arizona has been fighting about this for 10 years now. And there was legislation back in 2010 (laughs) prohibiting a whole bunch of ethnic studies materials from being created, even relative to schools that had 80 to 90 percent minority students. You also, just for the purpose of our listeners, to help people put this in context, there are really four major areas that are thought of as ethnic studies, Black studies, Latino studies, Native American, and Asian American. And the whole question of Palestinian and Arab identity as part of that story is in the Asian bucket for all sorts of complicated reasons that kind of make sense and also create a really interesting challenge for American Jews to wrestle with how that gets uh, slotted. Ty, what about you? What else can you provide for us to kind of develop out the story a little bit before we get into the questions of what's gone well and what's gone wrong? What else can you help us flesh out in terms of the sequence of the story and your and the JCRC's involvement on it? Yeah, and just to mention something you quickly touched on, for some reason, Palestinian and Arab studies belong in the Asian bucket, but Sarah's community, who come from Syria and all over the Middle East, are not. So we can dive into that later as to why that is. Before we dig into the story a little more, I think this issue is so new to so much of our community that there's a lot of fear around this. And we have to separate out the motivations of the millions of people of color in this country from the jargon that is running rampant around our community. This is about the four communities of color that you just listed and their opportunity to tell their own stories in the classroom, in their textbooks, that have been denied from them for centuries. People that looked like you and me, Yehuda, probably wrote about African-Americans in history textbooks for up until very recently. And they deserve, just like us, to be able to write their own narratives about who their community is, what their history is, what systemic forms of oppression look like against them, just like we've been denied that same opportunity as a Jewish community, and why, especially given your work at the Hartman Institute, why we need to have a discussion within this framework 
about the complexity and the richness of Jewish identity that has been denied from us and that works against us because people don't understand Jewish identity. We argue about it in our own tent. What is that supposed to mean for the rest of the country and the millions of students who are learning about us? So fundamentally, there is an alignment between what these core communities of color that founded this movement are trying to achieve and the needs of our own community as Jews in public education. You laid out a lot for us there, and I want to come back to it about the question of Jewish communal interests. But tell me a little bit, just if you can, from an institutional perspective, because none of us are dispassionate about this issue and none of us are journalists. So our job here is not merely to describe the story, but what has the play been of the JCRC in Northern California in relationship to this challenge or to this project? So let me connect the dots between what I just said and the policy. We have always said that so long as this product is about those four core constituencies, that our main interest is making sure that we are represented correctly. And to what Sarah was saying, when BDS was inserted and when anti-Semitic tropes, most blatantly in the form of anti-Semitic rap lyrics were in there, there was an outrage. JCRC and our partners mobilized tens of thousands of comments during the public comment period that submits letters to the California Department of Education with an outcry. And what we saw is that we successfully removed that denigrating content in the second draft. Now we're bringing the story up to the summer of 2020. We were all ready to say, great, looks pretty good. And then after it was published and right before the review meeting, the public review meeting on the draft, there was a vague announcement and an unusual announcement from the Department of Education that says, we're going to add Arab studies in also, but we haven't written it yet, so we're not telling you what's in it. And so, okay, red flag for two reasons. Number one, you're expanding the curriculum beyond the four traditional groups. And number two, who are the people trying to insert BDS even though the second draft was a clean copy? Folks within the Arab American Studies movement. And so there's a lack of transparency, there's an unusual announcement, and our agreement to stay out of it because it was about the four core groups has been violated. So now, and to bring us closer to the story and happy to get into third draft later, we wanted to advocate for Jewish inclusion, which is where the JCRC and Jemena story really comes forward because the two Jewish American lesson plans that are now in are attributed to our two organizations. So we advocated for those, and we really wanted to make sure that this new lesson plan being developed for Arab Americans was a clean copy and didn't denigrate our community in any way. I just want to go back to the beginning and emphasize that from the beginning, Jimena wasn't the only organization that was in support of ethnic studies. I believe the majority of the mainstream Jewish institutions in California vocalized their support for ethnic studies. And I think that is critically important. I mean, we wanted to be a part of the process and we were supportive of the mandate to create this curriculum. Great. So thank you for flagging that, because I think it's really interesting for folks who might have encountered the story for the first time in Tablet Magazine, who would have maybe come to the conclusion that Jewish organizations were opposing this from the get-go. Actually, I think that was the bias of the author of that piece. It was the bias of the journalist Barry Weiss, who kind of publicized the story using her platform. Ultimately, she said about the piece... It kind of doesn't matter whether they got it right or wrong, because there was a whole fact-checking question to the piece, but she said it ultimately boils down to a conflict between Jews who feel that critical race theory can be accommodated and those who know it's fundamentally anti-American and must be rejected. In some ways, a way of saying, 
it is condemned from the get-go. But both of you are saying that actually a lot of Jewish organizations in California embrace this story to begin with, say, yes, there has to be a revision of the California official curriculum at the high school and a collegiate level. We just want to make sure that it gets done right. And the other thing that I heard both of you say is that the question of the Jewish community's involvement on this is sometimes questions of inclusion and sometimes questions of exclusion. The exclusion one is, we don't like that this is in the curriculum. You know, you made reference to the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement as endorsed by the curriculum. We want that excluded. But you also talked about, like, we also want the voices of Jews, but I think more specifically Jews from, quote-unquote, marginalized countries and marginalized backgrounds to be included as part of that story. So, Sarah, can you say another word on that piece? Sure. So one of the statutory guidelines of the ethnic studies model curriculum is that it be inclusive and balanced and representative of the populations in the state of California. Jimena and our partners never once said we want to see Arab American studies removed. That was never our position. What we did want to see was all of the anti-Semitic and BDS content taken out. So first and foremost, that was our position. Let's clean this document of material that is hurtful to our communities. When we found out that the Arab American Studies section was going to be re-added, we said, okay, that's fine. Like we've said, we've never asked for Arabs to be completely removed, but we are going to hold you accountable to the statutory guidelines of the curriculum, which is a document that's balanced and inclusive. So that means if Arab American Studies are going to be included, then you have to at least hear from diverse Middle Eastern communities in the state of California who do not feel represented by the Arab American community. And we worked with a coalition called Advocates for Inclusive Middle Eastern Education that's composed of a variety of organizations like Jemena, but from different communities, from the Coptic community, from the Iranian community, from the Syrian community, to ask for inclusion and balance in the curriculum. And one of the things that happened as a result of the drama this week online <laughs> and not just online, but in real life, is that the stronger the push comes from, quote unquote, the right about where this curriculum is headed. So now this week, a number of the original authors of the curriculum have basically asked that their names come off of this curriculum. And it's not clear at this point where this is going to go, precisely, I guess, because the question of what does fair and balanced look like from the perspective of those authors of this curriculum is going to look really different from what fair and balanced looks like from that coalition of organizations. But Ty, you want to come in on this? Yeah. And as we no, fair and balanced is Fox News's tagline. So what does fair and balanced mean to anybody? So I think when it comes to what you just talked about with the original people removing their names, if the critique of the work that JCRC and Jimena and our partners are doing is so correct, then why are these folks disaffiliating from the curriculum? It's because they know that they're losing. It's because they know that we've been able to include the Jewish American experience because BDS has been removed. And if their ideology is no longer attached to it, from the perspective of our critics, we think that that's proof in the pudding that we're doing a pretty good job. And just let me touch on the tablet article for a moment and put it to bed because there is so much more going on than the criticism there. The facts are wrong. She's entitled to her opinion. We have many members of our community that share the fundamental concerns of the tablet article. But the fundamental problem that, Sarah, I don't wanna speak for you, but that we have is there are so many factual inaccuracies with it that it set off unnecessary alarm bells in our community it would have been great for us as the people that have been in the trenches for 18 plus months to educate folks about an accurate timeline of what's transpired and where we are today.
For those who want to read more about that, the law professor, David Schraub, who's been doing the fact-checking and writing about this on his own blog and on Twitter, to try to actually just say, before you get to the ideological questions, what are the articles, what's the public story getting right and wrong about the curriculum itself? And part of that has to do with looking at the first draft of the curriculum, which both of you have indicated, okay, you worked through the process of both state government and advocacy and lobbying to change it. And now basically looking at this and saying, there's a different version of it that's not representative of this. But there's a subtext of all of this also of the kind of invisibilizing of the work that you all are doing as Jewish communal leaders and professionals, which is, you basically said, again, we endorse this direction educationally, and our job is to stay in the work call it allyship, call it something else, and advocate for our own voices, our own communities to be heard. And then you get this kind of broadside criticism from the outside that says that that effort is condemned from the get-go. So the silly way of asking that question is, what does that feel like to be invisibilized? I could probably anticipate what that might look like. But I'm also trying to kind of get at like the difference between a Jewish communal conversation that's about this notion that this is about critical race theory and whether it can be embraced or not versus politics is being in the trenches and actually coming up with the best version of a curriculum that's imaginable. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about what it kind of has been like for you to watch this story litigated in the news while you're actually trying to make some change or move it forward. Yeah, as you can imagine, this has been incredibly frustrating. And I do think that the American Jewish community is long overdue for a conversation about critical theory and how we can work within spaces that adopt a critical theory framework. I'm troubled that so many people are conflating our Jewish community as failing to eradicate critical theory from the ethnic studies model curriculum as somehow accommodating it. I see that there's this division, it's either left or right, but I think that we're losing so much nuance. And I think it's not so black and white. It's obviously not so black and white. And I think that we have successfully made an intentional choice, a conscious decision to operate within a critical frame. And suffice to say, we've disrupted the paradigm. And that should be praised by people who just want to assume that there's no space for Jews in critical theory, and therefore we need to destroy. I would also say as a Jewish institution, my job is to serve the Jewish communities in California, the Sephardic communities and the non-Sephardic communities in California, by denying the reality that this critical frame has been adopted and just trying to destroy it, I would be doing an incredible disservice to the communities that I serve because that is just not going to happen. As I said in the beginning, the train left the station. So all of the Jewish agencies in California that have actually contributed something productive, we have found a way to work within this frame to get our needs met and to make sure that anti-Semitism is removed and that there's space for Jewish voices and this is something that I'm hoping can ultimately be embraced, but not only embraced, but that Jewish organizations in the East Coast who are now debating this realize like this isn't theoretical for us. This is what we have been working on every single day for the last few years. And that maybe instead of sitting and debating and trying to take these siloed positions of either conquer and destroy or accommodate something, that there's nuance and that there's a way that we can be productive and protect our communities and that people on the East Coast will come to us and want to engage in conversation and hear from all of the Jewish leaders, all of us. There are many of us that have been productively and constructively working within this frame. Ty, what about you? 
I would make a couple comments. Number one, it's one thing to talk about ideology and framework. It's another thing, as our focus has been, on how this curriculum is taught by a teacher to a student's ear. That's the framework in which we are considering this curriculum. How is this going to be used? Can it be manipulated for ideological ends? And what is the impact on the student in this course? So there's a lot of debate out there about critical race theory and what are the ideologies in this. I'm mostly concerned about how a student is going to absorb this and what impact that's going to have on them as a student in their school and as a citizen in this country. And that's the main question that we have as we're moving forward trying to shape this curriculum. Look, there's a lot of fear and some of it is rightfully placed. But Yehuda, you and I met when I was running a wider bridge, the LGBT Israel organization. And I learned a couple of important things there that are really applicable to this fight. Number one, authenticity. You have to demonstrate that you deserve a seat at the table. When we were denied our seat at the table because we care about Israel at a wider bridge, we as LGBT Jews have a right to be in the LGBT movement. And we demonstrated authenticity. And when it comes to this fight, Jewish students and parents have a right to be in this fight because we are learning this course. We have kids that are learning this course. We need a seat at the table because we have authenticity. The other thing I would say is we need to continue engagement. Again, looking at the LGBT fight for a second, LGBT folks didn't win marriage equality, for example, by ranting against homophobia alone. We did it by sitting in rooms with people that we fundamentally disagreed with to show our humanity. And that's what we as Jews need to be doing here is demonstrate that we have commonality and shared interests and that with anti-Semitism rising in this country, that there is so much more to gain by working with these groups and these communities of color than ranting against them because we have some fundamental disagreements. And that's, that's how I'm thinking about this. There's something so interesting about talking to both of you about this. And then I want to shift gears after this and talk about Israel for a second. But before we get there, there's something really interesting that's shared about what both of you said, which is my colleague at Hartman, Michal Bitone, after the election, wrote about the ways in which the language or the construct of Jews of color misses out on a whole bunch of different expressions of diversity, and especially the fact that like Jews of Middle Eastern background tend to not be politically liberal, even though there's a narrative about people of color advocating for very particular politics in this country, and the Jewish community is kind of an exception to that. And Tyler, when you reference your work with uh, Wider Bridge, there too, there's a kind of statement of, just because we're queer Jews doesn't mean that we're not Zionists or not pro-Israel. And there's a kind of shifting in both of the way that you talk about the communities that you represent of trying to get out of this notion of the predictability of identity politics. Just because I have this feature of my identity, it necessarily means that you can exactly map out where I'm supposed to be. And I felt that when I was reading these news stories of like, wait a second, if you're not following what's going on with Jimena or who the folks are at the JCRC or the fact that people involved with the MFI or Zionists, which are Zionist organizations, are actually advocating for ethnic studies, but trying to make change within it, you're kind of falling trapped to a certain image of what predictable politics are supposed to look like. Is that a fair read in terms of both of your organizations and the posture that you're taking? So I think to a certain extent, yes, but I really feel like this is very different than the Women's March, and this is different than a lot of other spaces. This is the California Department of Public Education, and we have an obligation to protect our communities from anti-Semitism being institutionalized within that system. So I think what you're saying is true to a certain extent. There was no way that we were going to walk away from this, especially as a community that 
somehow can fit into ethnic studies pedagogy. Yeah. And I think the biggest irony here, to add to what Sarah said, is the people that resigned, the people that want to insert BDS in here, who are now basically saying the Jews had too much influence in this process. I'm sorry. We executed our right as citizens petitioning our government. The same thing that every other community did. And by the way, they're tapping into an anti-Semitic trope by saying that we had too much due influence in this process, which is exactly what is in Sarah and my lesson plan that are in here that talk about how anti-Semitism is weaponized against us. Their actions demonstrate the very need for this type of education in the ethnic studies curriculum. Hi, my name is Sabra Waxman, and I'm the Senior Marketing Manager at the Shalom Hartman Institute of North America. Join us February 15th through 18th for an interfaith symposium exploring questions of truth, difference, and allyship for people of all faiths. Don't miss this opportunity to learn with more than 20 top Hartman scholars and guest experts. To see the full schedule and to register, visit winter.hartman.org.il. Let's talk about Israel for a little bit, because there's virtually no controversy that emerges in the American Jewish community that doesn't have an Israel angle, which is, I find, a source of significant lament, especially given the fact, Sarah, that you referenced to be involved as American citizens in advocating for a state curriculum to be the best version of itself in educating other American citizens is a fundamentally patriotic project and in some ways should not have to be about Israel, but it kind of inevitably seems like it is. At the same time, there was something weird about this because it wasn't, as we alluded to before, right-wing Israel opposing this curriculum. It was organizations that would kind of tilt right on Israel, who are explicitly Zionist, who are actually working with the state to improve this. And now kind of a broadside from a different side of the pro-Israel world against those organizations about this. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that whole piece of why we can't seem to get away from Israel as part of the story, why this was a very different type of pro-Israel versus pro-Israel fight, And then if you're comfortable, I'm curious to hear from you whether there can be some version of what we might call pro-Palestinian politics in a curriculum that you as Jewish leaders would say, yeah, that version of that is okay. Because if not, we have some other kinds of problems we need to work through. Okay, so first of all, I think it's important to say that this ethnic studies model curriculum and ethnic studies in general is supposed to be grounded in the lived experiences of Americans. It's supposed to focus on our experiences here in the United States of America. I understand that BDS is sometimes within an ethnic studies frame upheld as an example of a successful way to fight white supremacy, and that some of the authors wanted to bring that into this curriculum. Ty, would you agree with that? Yes, except that BDS also hurts many Jews of color since Israel is a majority person of color state. This is what the authors are advocating for. Correct. And this is why we all responded, right? I mean, what choice did we have? Were we just supposed to sit back and point our fingers at the California Department of Education and say, this is terrible, let's destroy it outright? No, we couldn't do that. We had to work with them. We had to educate them. I had multiple conversations with people who were involved in drafting the first draft and people within CDE explaining to them why BDS is harmful and why the Jewish community was determined to get it out. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons I think we've been so successful in our advocacy is that we have respected that this is about the domestic American experience, and our detractors have not, by trying to reinsert over and over BDS and anti-Israeli stereotypes. 
we have recognized that this is about the Jewish American experience and not about foreign policy. There's many valid views on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We have steered clear of that. We have tried to remove it. Neither of us put it in our lesson plans. And I think that's why we've been successful. This is fundamentally American discipline. And our detractors have not respected that. And I think that's part of the reason we have the upper hand at this point. Yeah, I don't think that this is the classroom space. And I think that many practitioners of ethnic studies agree, as certainly within the California Department of Education, for our teachers to be teaching about conflicts in the Middle East and North Africa. So we've tried to stay very, at least in the materials we submitted, focused on the experiences of American Sephardic Jews Let me play devil's advocate with you both for a second, if I can, which is I've argued for a long time that most of the time when American Jews argue with one another about Israel, they're not actually talking about Israel. They're talking about American Jewish identity. And Israel is serving as a kind of proxy in that. And it does seem like the BDS movement is a pretty good example of this. Most Israelis would tell you they're not scared of BDS, not only because it has been basically a failure, but that the effect that it has had has actually increased Israeli solidarity with its allies. It has the effect of mobilizing Israeli patriotism in a certain way. It actually hasn't had any economic deleterious effects, but it's really, really valuable on the American college campus as a tool of mobilizing a particular type of politics, both pro and con. So I would not argue for BDS being in such a curriculum. I'll put my cards on the table. I'm not pro-BDS in any way. But both of you basically said, BDS doesn't make sense here because it's talking about Israeli-Palestinian politics and it's not really talking about American identity. But is it possible that actually Arab-American and Muslim-American identity depends in some ways on BDS as an instrument of American identity? I don't go visit there, but this is how I show my solidarity with my own people. And if that's the case, is there a way that it might be talked about in a curriculum, even if it's not advocated for in a curriculum? I mean, I think you're right. Sure, you could make that argument. But in a high school curriculum, this is not the space to be bringing this part of Arab identity into high school classrooms. That's extremely political. It is. But again, this is just for the purpose of working out the issue. The criticism of the left that then emerges following the tablet piece in Jewish Currents and elsewhere is why are communities of color denied the language to talk about their own liberation? That's basically a paraphrase. So if this is the way in which an Arab American community wants to talk about ethnic solidarity. And if the curriculum is in some ways rooted in a notion of ethnic solidarity, again, I think what you're indicating is that it's too risky. It's too complicated. Yeah, of course. It's much too complicated. When we have thought about how to engage appropriately with this, there's been two fundamental principles. Number one, each community in the curriculum has a right to tell its own story. And that's why we have demanded the right to tell the Jewish story. And that no story, no figure, and no principle should fundamentally offend or hurt another community in the curriculum. And so we think that that principle of BDS hurts so many in our Jewish community that it doesn't belong because it puts communities at odds. And I can't deny that many Palestinian Americans and Arab Americans genuinely support this as a part of their identity. But because it comes into conflict with Jewish identity, It's not appropriate for the curriculum. And we feel the same way when it comes to which kind of historical figures, which people of color deserve to be lifted up as examples in American history, that that same principle is true, which is why we want to remove someone like Linda Sarsour from the historical figure section with the terrible things she said about our community. 
there are many, many people that we can lift up in each community that do not fundamentally come at odds with our community and others. And the same thing should be true about the Jewish figures we lift up. And also just to flip that in another direction, I mean, ethnic studies, certainly critical ethnic studies is focused or there's aspirations for oppressed communities towards self-determination to be decolonized, to be liberated. So in some ways, we could sit and talk about Zionism and the successes of Israel as a model for that. But we're not going to bring that into this space. We're certainly not going to bring that into a space that's hostile. Again, this should be rooted in our experiences in the United States. And I understand what you're saying, but it's just too divisive. It's too problematic. It's too political for public classrooms in the state of California. It just feels very tricky to me especially in light of what you said before, Ty, that raising up this individual or that individual as characteristic of their community's identities or as a descriptor of a people's liberation can't happen if it comes into conflict with other people's identities and liberations. And I get why that makes for, quote unquote, a safer classroom in some ways. But I don't know how you really do ethnic studies with the depth of its political commitments from where it originated as part of the civil rights movement in the 60s without creating some of that conflict. What I get nervous about is that you then say, I can have this black figure, but I'm not going to have that black figure. And at a certain point, the black community, whoever that represents, is legitimately going to say, I'm sorry, once I have to filter my choices of my heroic figures or exemplar figures through the prism of what makes you comfortable or not comfortable, this is no longer achieving what ethnic studies is supposed to do. There's some measure of discomfort that this whole exercise is supposed to create because it's trying to address major historical problems and things that we couldn't see. And to that, I come back to our primary approach, which is what is the student's experience in the classroom learning this curriculum? And does this curriculum put any student in an unsafe position? And obviously, we're representing Jewish students in this context. And so we need to make sure in this semester-long course that our Jewish students feel safe learning this and that this curriculum doesn't inadvertently not only create academic problems, but environmental problems that make students feel more unsafe. Here in the Bay Area, we just had a terrible decision by our school board to remove the names of Dianne Feinstein and Albert Sutro, two Jews, from public schools, along with Abraham Lincoln in Washington. And so, like, this is the conditions in which Jewish students are operating, and we don't want this curriculum to inadvertently create a more hostile environment for Jewish students with their peers. Yeah, I guess what I'm hinting at is that as we talked about earlier, the difference between advocating for our students, aka Jewish students, which includes Jews of color, obviously, to be made safe in these environments is different from the question of who do we have to exclude? They correlate to each other. Who I take out of the curriculum relates to how do I foreground my own stories and how am I made comfortable? But it seems to me like the politics of advocating for Jews and Jews of color to be heard in this curriculum is a little bit different than policing, I'm sorry for that word, uh, what else has to come out from someone else's narrative of liberation. I think that's where looking at this as an outsider, this gets really tricky. Just as a last thing before we conclude, I'm really grateful to both of you for helping us think through these issues. This is incredibly personal for both of you, as well as an institutional priority. I know you're working very hard on this. I know this was probably a very hard week. Um, So I appreciate you taking some time to help us set this story straight in a certain way and tell the story as you see it. What do you want folks who are following this from afar to pay attention to? 
What should they read? Where do you see that they can actually access a better version of this? What's the conversation that you'd love to see happen in Jewish communal institutions about this issue? How would you want that conversation to look that's different from, oh my God, there was this misrepresentative article on Twitter. And now we're going to spend all of our time arguing and fact-checking that article. What's the better version of that? Well, first of all, I think it's important to remember that this is more than clickbait and jargon. We're living this in California. And if California is any indicator for the rest of the country, then our national Jewish communities need to start having some serious conversations and listening to the people who have been doing this work for the last few years. I think that we need to get past our politics. We need to get past our ideas and really start engaging in a deep and meaningful way. Again, this is not just clickbait. And I think that there's something to be said for the fact that all of the Jewish agencies in California, at least the vast majority of us, 90% of us, have worked together constructively. We've put our orientations aside to find solutions. And by doing so, we were all able to build working relationships with the California Department of Education. And we were able to educate them and work with them. And they received us. They were open to hearing our concerns and to learning about our communities learning about the diversity within our communities. I mean, it was eye-opening during so many of my meetings for people at the table to hear about Sephardic and Mizrahi Jews and to learn about Jews of color and to learn about our diversity and how this affects all of us, at least in terms of anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic tropes. I think that that's something to be proud of. That shows that, yes, these frames, these theories put into practice may initially cause us to want to resist, but we have to lean into them and find a way to work together to create a better solution or a positive outcome. And we've done that in California. Anti-Semitic content was removed from the curriculum. Our communal requests to the California Department of Education were heard. They listened to us. They made changes. Not only did they make changes to remove anti-Semitic content, but they included us in the end, which none of us necessarily thought would happen. More than that, I think, again, like it boils down to this being so much more than just clickbait and jargon. And this is a testament to the Jewish community working together positively, fixing something that was hugely problematic and hurtful and coming out on the other end. I mean, we're not done yet. We still have a ways to go, but we're headed in the right direction. So let's keep that energy moving constructively and positively. Look, Yehuda, I just moved back from New York to take this job about 10 months ago. And I'm from out here, but I was reminded after being in New York for several years, just how different West Coast Judaism and the environment that we're operating is out here. And um, as all these critics from the East Coast are swooping down on us, it's important to remember we have a different constellation of organizations, stakeholders and environment out here. Living in New York, there's a much higher percentage of Jews. Jewish identity is a part of New Yorker identity. That's not true over here in the Bay Area. And so I think that we have a heavier lift explaining who we are and what the fabric of the Jewish community means. Even though we do have a storied history here, it's a whole different ballgame. And just as we have wonderful national organizations trying to bring communities together nationally, we also need a ground up effort in the Jewish community. And that's why it's so important that local organizations like JCRC and national organizations that are based on the West Coast like Jimena it's important to let us lead our own fights and to take lessons because California is an issue leader in progressive America. And this ethnic studies fight is coming to a state near you if you're in a blue state or a blue city for that matter. This is a national issue. It's already started to spread. 
And by the way, when the statewide curriculum is finalized at the end of March, this is a long-term fight. Every district across California, if it's mandated, is going to figure out how to adopt this. And even if it's not mandated, every progressive city, every progressive school district, if they haven't already, is going to start implementing this. And JCRC and our partners like Jimena need to start mobilizing parents and students and get in with board of supervisors and administrators and teachers to make our case and to make sure that Jimena's lesson plan and the lesson plan that my colleagues wrote are taught correctly and appropriately. The insight about the national and local is a great one. And it's not just California versus the East Coast. It's even Los Angeles and San Francisco. These are different Jewish communities. I have the benefit on a personal level of knowing this up close, not only because pre-pandemic, I was in the Bay Area many, many times a year for our work with Hartman. And so just being able to kind of understand how different these dynamics are, but also with my own family, my in-laws are first-generation Americans from Tunis and Iraq. And so seeing the Jewish community up close and personal in Los Angeles with huge percentage of the Los Angeles Jewish community as Jews from Middle Eastern countries and representing a very, very different story of American Jewish at-homeness than you experience in New York, and a certainly very different story than you experience of American Jewish at-homeness in the Bay Area, where there's probably the highest percentage of Jews of color and black Jews in the country. That dynamic has been a source of personal insight for me. I'm grateful to both of you for being here with us in this complicated week. I'm grateful to both of you for your work for the Jewish community and for the Jewish people, and we'll obviously keep following the story. So thanks to Sarah Levin from Jimena and to Ty Gregory from the JCRC in San Francisco for being our guest this week on Identity Crisis, and thanks to all of you for listening to our show. Identity Crisis is a product of the Shalom Hartman Institute in partnership with the Jewish Telegraphic Agency. It was produced this week by David Svee Kalman and edited by Alex Dillon with assistance from Miri Miller and music provided by So Called. To learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, you can visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We'd love to know what you think about the show. You can rate and review us on iTunes to help more people find the show, and you can write to us at identitycrisis at shalomhartman.org. You can subscribe to our show in the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, SoundCloud, Audible, and everywhere else podcasts are available. We'll see you next week. Stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you for listening.